Good morning, Tapestry. It is good to be with you for uh, another Sunday morning. Um, hopefully the uh, Sundays are numbered in which we are separated from each other uh, and all of these vaccines start getting administered and this COVID goes away and we can get back together soon. Um, but until then, we're still together virtually and we are in our year of Sunday school here at Tapestry. And um, we just finished up the story of Jonah last week and we spent three weeks on that story. And there's going to be stories throughout the year that we spend a lot of weeks on. David's going to get some weeks and Jesus is going to get a lot of weeks. Um, but then there's some other stories that we're going to do where we're just going to spend one week on them. Um, and today is one of those stories. I, I want to tell you a story um, about a couple of brothers. Um, the first brother, the older brother, uh, his name was Esau. And Esau, he, would, he was a hunter, right? And uh, his dad was a guy named uh, Isaac. And Isaac's a pretty good, pretty big character in the Bible, pretty important. Um, and they were, they were a fairly wealthy family. So they had some sheep and, and uh, some other animals, some herds. And anytime you've got wild you know, animals out in the wild, there's going to be some natural predators. So there would be some wolves that would come and try and get after the sheep and whatnot. And so old Esau here with his uh, bow and arrow that he's got slung over his back, he'd, uh, he'd go out and he'd go hunting. And uh, not just to protect the sheep, but then they'd be able to, to have some food as well. But Esau, he had a younger brother. That younger brother's name was Jacob. Now, Jacob, he was younger, but just barely. Because Jacob and Esau were twins. And it's a very interesting story. You should go and read it, because that's a little bit before we pick up our story today, about how Esau was older than Jacob. But while, while Esau would be out in the field and be hunting and doing whatnot, Jacob would be at home and his specialty was cooking. And apparently he was really, really, really good at it. And on this particular day, when we pick up this story, he was making some stew and, and I don't know how long it took him to prepare the stew, but, but he was doing that. And when, when Isaac was, when, not Isaac, when Esau was done and he came into the house and he was finished and he smelled that stew and Maybe took off, took off his uh, hunting outfit. Look at that. That's some, special, that's some special effects there on the felt board. Got all cleaned up, right? Smelling that dinner. He goes into that room where that's cooking. And he looks at his brother and he says, Brother, give me some of that stew. And so his brother, who apparently had been waiting for a moment, said, All right, I'll, I'll give you some of this stew. But there's a catch. Esau's like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want from me. That just smells so good and I'm starving. Let me have some of that stew. And so Jacob says to him, you can have the stew, but you've got to give me your birthright for it. Now, birthright was a pretty important thing. That was essentially the inheritance and the importance of the family handed down. And, and that seems like a big ask for a bowl of stew, but... But Esau, he didn't hesitate. He said, what, my birthright? Sure, I'll trade you that. And so in exchange for his birthright, he received a bowl of stew. A appetites, we, we all have them. 
right? There, there's a universal set of appetites um, that we all share as humans, right? An appetite for food, an appetite for acceptance, uh, an appetite for affirmation, an appetite for sex, an appetite for things, appetites for um, t- an appetite to be right. Oh my goodness. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of heated conversations around my house where me and Kate, we both have a desire and an appetite to be right. And there's a lot of times that we don't agree. And so I think I'm right and she thinks she's right. And uh, we both want to be right and we'll argue around. Even when we get to a point when one of us knows we're wrong, we're still going to be right. Because we've just got that appetite, that thing within us that wants to be right. And all appetites have one thing in common. One word in common. And that word is more. More. You you can never fully satisfy an appetite. You always want more. You, You can suppress it for a minute, for a little while. But appetites always show back up saying, more, please, more, please, more, 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 more. And as a result, appetites have the potential to control us if we don't control them. Right? And a sign of someone being controlled by an appetite is this. They do really stupid things. And today, we're going to talk about this story right? Of a guy that was so controlled by his appetite that he may have made, may have made what, what is one of the stupidest decisions ever recorded in history, right? And this is one of those stories that, that you read it or you hear it told and see the great felt board pieces and you hear it and you just kind of think, you just kind of think, wait, what? Did, did he really do that? That happened, right, right? This guy had everything that a dude could want. He, he was in line to receive everything, right? He had a great family. He had all, all the resources to be able to do whatever it was that he wanted to do, a future that was desired by everyone. And if you ask his friends, they, they would say, not only did he have um, all of that, but they would probably say that God had something special in store for this guy. Right, but as we read the story and as we kind of dissect it a little bit, we'll see how an appetite can come in and wreak havoc. Even in the life of somebody who seems to have it all. Are right, you going to find this story in Genesis chapter 25? Um, and these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, they, they, they were twins. And Esau was born first. But like I said, it was a super interesting story as to how he became, how that happened. Um, But I've told you, Isaac is their dad. Their grandfather was a guy named Abraham. Everybody's heard of Abraham, right? The, 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 The three of the world's major religions trace their roots back to the person of Abraham. But even more than that, Abraham... He had further on down his line, as history would go on, he had Jesus in his direct line of descendants. And so these brothers were in that line that stretched from Abraham to Jesus. But for Esau, it was an even bigger deal because he was the firstborn because this gave him the birthright, which meant he received more privileges 
than all of his other siblings, right? He received double the inheritance that Jacob would receive, right? He would become the judicial and spiritual leader of his tribe, Abraham's tribe, right? God, God moved his blessings from fathers down to sons and down on through history, through the birthright. So it would go from Abraham, his grandfather, to Isaac, his dad, then from Isaac to him, to Esau. Here's, here's how the Bible says that it went and how an uncontrolled appetite forever altered a life. Beginning in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And there's the introduction of the appetite. Quite literally, he was hungry. And this is kind of a, up to this point, this is kind of a normal interaction between brothers, right? One out working, comes in, smells something delicious, is immediately focused on that thing and nothing else. And listen, if there's something that early on in the story I can relate with Esau, it did be that, smelling something and then being obsessed about it. Man, if, if I walked in somewhere and there was a steak cooking on the grill and I got a, I caught a whiff of that, I'd be laser focused. You come try and talk to me, I'd nod, I'd smile. I ain't thinking about my conversation with you. I'm thinking about steak, right? So I get it. But, but we see this idea of appetite in other areas in life other than just food, right? We see it when, when there's, you see a new car on the road and you really like that car and you want that car, right? A more desirable job. An appetite for, for a bigger house, for more stuff, right? We have these appetites that influence us towards something. And, and they, aren't, they aren't bad things. There's nothing inherently bad about any of those things, right? Esau was hungry. Nothing wrong with being hungry. If you're a person, you're going to be hungry. But once that appetite's introduced, the, the, the story takes the turn. And there's a moment where his very legitimate appetite came up against something that was far more important. And the stakes were raised. Jacob replied in, to Esau's request for stew. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. To which I'm like, what? What, really? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Why, 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 why did Jacob think he could even ask that? Right? Who would sell their entire future for a bowl of stew? Who, who would do that? And, and I was trying to think of like some kind of equivalent, you know, example for, for us today. And I just, I couldn't even hardly come up with something. It just is so ridiculous. But look what happens. Verse 32. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? And I don't even begin to understand this because I'm like, really, Esau, did you just say that? Right? Drama much? 
I'm about to die. What good would the birthright be anyway? Right? About to die. You just walked in there from hunting. What do you mean? What do you mean about that? You didn't crawl in because you were so weak, right? You weren't carried in. No, you walked in. You can't be that close to death to give up your entire future for some stew if you're strong enough to walk in. And then Esau does what's gotta be one of the dumbest things that's ever happened in history. He allows his appetite to control him. He allows it to control him. And it controls him to the point that it began to blur his future, right? His future hopes, his future dreams. He he allowed his current appetite, what he was feeling and experiencing and desiring in the moment to become bigger than a future appetite for long-term satisfaction. Here's what, Here's what Jacob said in response to Esau's, I'm about to die, what good is the birthright? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he, Esau, swore an oath to him, Jacob, selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. I mean, honestly, how could you be that stupid? Right? How, how, how could you be, how could you be that stupid? But here's the bigger thing. Not only did he give up his personal future, right? Not only did he give up the control of the tribe, not only did he give up the extra inheritance. Listen, he, here's, what, here's what else he gave up. And he didn't even know this was at stake when he made this decision. 400 years after this event, 400 years later, Moses would come onto the scene, right? And before he did everything that he is known for, right? God said something to him that sheds light on the importance of the decision that Esau made that day, some 400 years earlier. God said to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. What God was originally intended to say was, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Right? It was in this moment when Esau said, give me the stew. I don't care what it costs. Give me the stew. That that changed. That it went from Abraham, Isaac, and Esau to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he gave up unknowingly because he was being controlled by his appetite, gave up being recognized by God in that manner. Then later, when Matthew was writing the story of Jesus, he said, he told his readers, I want you to know where Jesus came from. And he wrote that Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob, right? Esau would have been in the line of Jesus Christ. But instead, he chose the bowl of stew. 
you know what, <laughs> what the big tragedy is as I read the story? It doesn't even tell us if the stew was any good. <laughs> he traded all of that and we don't even know if it was, any, I hope it was the best stew that he had ever eaten because he gave up that legacy. He gave up what God had for him, his future, all for a bowl of stew. Why? And I, I look at that and I wonder who would do that? Who would give up their foreseeable future and the possibilities that God has for them? Who would do that? Who would give up so much for such little in return? And here's the reality that, that we've got to understand today. Is that to the question, who would do that? The, the answer is, you would do that. And I would do that. That's who would do that. Because we have the exact same propensity to give up our desirable future to feed an immediate appetite. We do. We do. We see this in multiple areas of our lives, right? We all want to be healthy, right? A future, a, a desirable future of health. And we all keep eating junk, right? Because of that appetite. We, we want to be great parents. And we keep spending too much time on work and hobbies and social events. And we, we want to have a safe, secure marriage. But we give in to the, to the appetite to be right, to win the fight, right? We end up treating our spouse disrespectfully, right? We're not that far removed from Esau. We're really not. We, we often trade something in our future for something as small as a bowl of stew. We trade something in our future for something that we want immediately, right? We give up something that could be for something in the now. Psychologists have been studying this phenomenon for forever. <laughs> and they found a few things. When it comes to happiness, there are several things that happen um, in, in our brains that are connected to happiness. Things that happen that, that we have no control over, right? If you're a human, these things are gonna happen in your brain. And these are important because the whole reason we give in to appetites is because we think they will make us happy, right? So, so when we're faced with the urge to fulfill an appetite, three very specific things happen in our brains. Here's, here's what happens. The first thing that happens is this, impact bias. Impact bias happens. When we think about an emotional event, we tend to overestimate how we will feel and we overestimate how long that feeling will last, right? We do something and we think we're gonna feel great about it and we think it's gonna last a long time, that feeling, and it just doesn't. Psychologists say we are terrible predictors of our emotional future. We're terrible at it. We never know how we are really going to feel once we are in something or doing something. 
We don't. So impact bias says, I'm going to take this event and I'm going to blow it out of proportion, right? And we tell ourselves that this drink or this night or this website or this car or these extra hours at works are going to make me feel this good. And they end up making you feel this good, right? Oh, we think that it's going to last this long. And it ends up lasting that long, right? The second thing that happens is something called focalism. That is the tendency to only focus on one event, right? Which causes us to overestimate the feelings of, the, of that event, which is the impact bias. And it causes us to underestimate the extent to which other events outside of that one event will impact our thoughts and feelings later. We're just not good at thinking about the multiple things, right? Simply put, focalism focuses on only that appetite in front of you in the moment and it blurs out everything else. This is why, this is why when that chocolate cake is sitting in front of you and you know you shouldn't, be eating that chocolate cake, you become so obsessed with that singular event that the whole thought about a diet and all the things that are going to happen and what that's going to lead to, that all just becomes blurry and distant. Because that cake is our focus. Here's the third thing that happens. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance, uh, th- that is the, the, the feeling of, of uncontrolled tension inside of you that comes from holding two conflicting ideas at the same time, right? There's two things that you believe both of those things, but those things don't agree with each other. That, and it causes this just unrest, the, this this edge inside of you. I want one thing, but I want this other thing too, but you can't have both things, right? And that stress, that tension is cognitive dissonance. And all of those three things, when it comes to this idea of making yourself happy and doing things, those three things play into our decision-making process. And those things, even though they hadn't necessarily, the the study of those things happening and, and all of that hadn't happened yet, They couldn't put words to it, but that's what Esau was feeling in that moment. Had you asked him, had you asked him on any other day, any other day, Esau, do you want a future that involves you having your birthright? He would have been like, "Uh, of course, of course I want my birthright. Yes, I want that in my future, right? But on this day, on this day, he was just hungry enough And there was stew. There was stew, right? At first, he could have had them both. He could have said, hey, give me some stew. But Jacob Jacob raised the stakes, right? And then when Jacob raised the stakes, he felt that cognitive dissonance kicking in. Right? And when you feel this, when you feel that tension of that cognitive dissonance, there's really, only, there's really only two options. There's really only two ways you can go. The first is to feed that appetite 
and then live with the consequences, which is what Esau chose to do. The second is to say no to the appetite. And when you say no to that appetite, there will be no more tension. But with impact bias and with focalism influencing us, that cognitive dissonance causes us to justify why that appetite is so important in that moment. Right? This is what Esau did. He justified it. I am about to die. That was his mind justifying giving up his birthright. He wasn't about to die. It was justification, but he convinced himself that he was. And so then if he was, what good is a birthright? He justified a current appetite that destroyed his future. And you and I do this all the time. We do it all the time. Perhaps when you're off on a business trip, right? Far away from home, nobody will know, right? Maybe those, those trying to quit smoking. I know smoke is bad for me. I should quit. Ah, this is hard. What does it matter? I could quit smoking and then just walk out there and get hit by a car and die anyway, right? Justification. We do that. We do that. Yeah, I know I'm spending a lot of time at work or with other people or doing other things. I, you know, my kids need, I'll make it up to them later. I'll make it up to them. I'll do something big, right? It's okay to eat this. I'll run extra later. I'll exercise more, right? Why, why do we do that? Why do we do this? We do this because these three things happen in our head every time an appetite comes calling for more. Every time, right? And because of this, we have the ability to forever damage what God has in store for us for nothing more significant than a bowl of stew, right? How could we give up something so big for things so small, but yet we do it all the time? So, so what do we do with our appetites calling for more while our own mind seems to be playing tricks on us and working against us? Like, what do you do? How do we guard ourselves from sacrificing our future for something that is so small in our present? Right? Thankfully, the Bible gives us an answer. Right? It's spoken about in several places and it's something that Jesus even did himself. And, and the answer is this, is that we need to reframe our appetites so that we can see the other things that influence and the other things that are at stake. Right? If we can bring a clear picture of what we really want, then that will help us to see our appetite for what it really is. Imagine, just, just imagine if Esau would have done this in that moment, right? If he would have reframed a stupid bowl of stew, right? And what was at stake? If he would have been able to just for a moment realize what was going on, what would he have done? He probably would have said, uh, that's not worth it. It's just a bowl of stew, Jacob. 
It's just a bowl of stew. And if we can do this, then the emotional attachment to that appetite, it loses its power. It loses its grip on us. Jesus did this the night before he was crucified. Right? He had a strong appetite to avoid what was coming. And he had the ability to fulfill that appetite in that moment. But what he was able to do was he was able to, instead of immediately fulfilling that appetite, he was able to spend time in prayer. And he was able to frame what he wanted in the moment against what he knew was at stake in his future and what he was here to do, right? Hebrews states this very clearly. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. How did he endure the cross? How? Because of the joy set before him, he reframed the cross with what was at stake, with what he was there to do for you and for me and for all of humanity, right? And if Jesus could do that facing death, what could we do facing our appetites, right? When that thing that's threatening to wreak havoc on our, our, our marriage, on our finances, on our future, the, the things that God has for us and wants for us, right? So, so, so in light of this, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. You got a little bit of homework. I'm going to ask you to set aside 30 minutes, three minutes, and I want you to write something down. The first thing I want you to write down is, is what is your desired future? What is your desired future? What do you want your future to look like? What do you want out of it? And then the second thing is this. What is at stake? What's at stake? If you were to give in to appetites today, what is at stake tomorrow? Right? And honestly, if you take this assignment serious, some of you, this could Forget 30 minutes. This could take you months to fully figure this out. But, but I challenge you, start this today. Start it today. I encourage you to write this and keep, keep it on you. Keep it somewhere where you can see it, where you can reference this, right? And when you are faced with an appetite, faced with that temptation of wanting more, to do something for an immediate gratification, pull out that thing that you wrote. And reframe your mindset and say to yourself, I will not give up my future for this bowl of stew. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is, it is almost embarrassing how susceptible we are to making the same mistake that Esau made. Lord, each and every one of us listening to this have appetites that we are susceptible to. 
that have the ability to wreak havoc on our lives by causing us to fulfill that immediate gratification that's going to cause so much damage down the road. It's going to cause us to lose things. It's going to cause heartache and pain, not just to us, but to those around us. Lord, I pray that you begin to immediately move on our minds and begin to bring to the forefront of our, of our mind the things that we are tempted to give up. For things that in the grand scheme of things, if we were to reframe them, are no more significant than a bowl of stew. Lord, give us the ability to recognize those, the wisdom to understand why we're being pulled towards them and the strength to push them away. Lord, I, I thank you for the examples that we have out of the scriptures that are amazingly thousands of years later, still so applicable to our lives today. And Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace in your name. Amen. Amen. You have a great week. Figure out what you want your future to be and figure out a way to reframe the appetites that would cause you to give that future away. We'll see you next week.